and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include them in our role-playing campaigns. My name's Fiona. All of the days have now merged into one. I don't know where I am or what I'm doing, but with me, as always, the person that will steer the ship back on course, talking about roads and cars and all that stuff, is my co-host Ryan. Hello, Ryan. How are Hello. You? I'm great, but that's a huge amount of responsibility. You fail to understand that I may be just as addled and absolutely confused in my space and time location as you. Like, I am, yeah, days are weird, aren't they, in lockdown. Everything's still strange and... Mm-hmm. I think it's it's for lack of holidays, isn't it? Like lack of being able to sort of get away for long extended periods of time or leave the country or yeah. go away for, you know, have things in the diary. Just stuff in the diary. Mm. That's the weird thing because you can have like calls and online things and all kinds of Zoom meetings and team meetings, whatever mm. it is. But I don't think it's, it's not the same as having to actually then go and meet somebody by getting on the tube and then commuting to them and then looking forward to getting back home. And do you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a yeah. process to actually going out that I think just breaks the day up. Yeah, it's bizarre thinking how much I hated the commute, and I still hate it. But now the commute, there's only like a queue for my kettle rather than the queue for the <laughs> tube and queue for the bathroom or all that sort of thing. But yeah, I feel like now, now that I've got used to like working from home, it would be nice if I actually forced myself to go out a little bit more often than I do. Like I think taking out the bins is not necessarily it's not necessarily the uh designated one time a day to go out or exercise i need to probably do my lunchtime walks again that's what i, I need don't to know do. i think D campaigns have been made on less exciting adventure hooks like <laughs> what going down to the bins. <laughs> i guess without very odd segue of recycling <laughs> recycling what are you talking about recycling my content what are you yeah, well, to hey, say? I, I am fresh and original i i come up with new stuff every week every week what is this week's topic then, Ryan? What are we looking at today? All right, so we're diving back into world creation here and thinking a little bit as a dungeon master how you might want to spice up the campaign you're running or the module you're running, even if it's pre-bought or somebody's given it to you or you've stolen it off the back of the van, wherever you may have gotten your idea from. What we're looking at is monstrous adventurers and how they kind of thread into D&D and mm. how your players could enjoy them. And specifically as well, we're sort of veering off a little bit when we say how NPCs can play them as well, because PCs and NPCs have similarities in terms of how you build a character, but then obviously there are differences with the fact that you've got actual people in front of you playing monstrous adventurers, and there are challenges that that brings as much as bringing some great ideas of maybe the wackier ones in his NPCs. So we're going to be talking a little bit about how to make a monstrous adventure and then sort of some ideas about the types of monstrous adventures you might get. Hmm, exciting. You hear about it more and more in certain D&D streams. Like, I don't know about you, Ryan, but sometimes the ones I watch is always a very typical, like you've got your humans, elves, dwarves, etc. And then some of the alternate version would then be a tiefling or a tabaxi to add into the mix. But hardly ever these races that we're going to talk about today. So I'm actually really excited to see what we can talk about. Can you give us like a brief overview about what kind of monstrous adventures are we talking about? So we are looking at Volo's Guide to Monsters specifically in terms of the information. And it's presented pretty well. What is what page is it? Page 118. I'm just like, I've got my microphone in front of me and the page number is right under it. And I'm looking at it going, what is that? I can't, can't see. I haven't got my glasses on. You don't need to know this. I'm rambling. Monstrous Adventures, page 118. And the good thing about Volo, and we've spoken about some of these chapters before where they go into the backgrounds about mind flayers or about giants or about whatever you may be talking about. And a lot of them have races that are roughly humanoid in size, medium, with a life expectancy of sort of 100 years. And you kind of think about it and go, oh, well, actually, I could probably play a character like this if only I had the rules for it. And a few of them really do fall quite neatly into it. So, I mean, the ones given to us in the book at the moment are bugbears, goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, which are ridiculous, orcs. And Yuntai purebloods. Yuntai, I just always find really confusing because there's about 500 million versions of these yeah. snake people. But mm. yeah, purebloods <laughs> specifically. Mm-hmm. And it sort of gives us stat blocks for each one and how to create a character with them. But what we'll talk about a little bit first before we get into the really boring mechanics of it is kind of like the idea behind why you might want one in your campaign or things to think about when putting one in. Well, 
let's start with that then. Why would you, as a DM or a player, may consider try a monstrous race as an adventurer compared to some of the other sort of players' handbook creations, would you say? Oh, there's, there's loads of different reasons why somebody might want to play as one. You brilliantly identified one of the main reasons, which is the player edgelord. And everybody <laughs> knows one. It doesn't matter who you have in your group or how many times you play or how many friends you know. There's always one person that you invite along and they have that wicked smile on their face as they listen to everyone else go, as you say, I want to be the human, I want to be the debaxi, I want to be the dwarf, whatever it is. And then they go, eh, I want to be the goblin. And you go, okay, here we go. It's always one. And that is one reason why somebody might want to play a monstrous adventure. And, and it's good to sort of have that in mind because this is, you know, it can be done in a way that actually works. But people might be looking for a challenge. A lot of the monstrous adventurers have quite significant RP role-playing aspects to them and how they fit into the world and campaigns. You may get people who just need a new challenge. If you genuinely have played about 20, 25 campaigns over the course of 20 years of D&D, you may be bored of playing dwarves and humans. And hey, you may just look at one of the stat blocks and go, hey, that's a really fun I mean, because there are some really weird abilities that aren't typical of anything you see in the player's handbook. Mm. So you may look at that just from a mechanic point of view and go, you know what? I've got a really fun build that relies on something the bugbear has or something the goblin has and, and run with that. And I think as well, it sort of mentions it right at the beginning of the chapter in typical D&D. And I say typical with like quotation marks, because I think nowadays there's no such thing as typical D&D. You know, you are friends who are adventurers that go and do things that may be heroic or less heroic, depending on how inept your party is, I guess. But it talks about, because most of these races are goblinoid in some way. So like you said, hobgoblins, bugbears, etc. So typically seen as villains, certainly early on in the lower levels. Certainly in Lost Minds of Fandelva, your first big encounter is with a group of hobgoblins or goblins and you have to sort of ransack their cave and stuff like that. It sort of sets the tone that there is this other compared to your party. So that you're the good guys, you're getting rid of a pest. Mm. And... I think it's, it's interesting because, again, it says, like, you don't necessarily have to play these characters as villains of the piece. They are well-rounded and you only ever see the one side of it. And I actually thought that was quite interesting reading through this, is that when you're picking one of these races to think about the cultures, because it talks about that in the player's handbook, when you pick um, a dwarven character or as a dwarven race for your character, there's a little box that sort of says, like, how dwarves view other races as it gives an idea about how they interact with each other and i thought that was quite cool because yeah you're like yes yeah, so dwarves think elves are a little bit snooty or humans mm. they're they're nice but they don't live long enough and uh can't trust those gnomes or, or something like that <laughs> i really like those boxes i think that was new this edition and they are really fun mm. and i think that's the thing now if you're going to play these races it's like well yeah they're not going to be necessarily one-dimensional or oh, they're evil etc they're going to have cultural sort of connections to the other sort of races in that book and then probably with the and i'm going to say traditional in quotation marks but from the player's handbook races as well and it doesn't really tell it doesn't say that in this uh in volos about like or what their connection is to in fact it leaves it completely open to you as a dm and as a person because if you're going to have these uh characters in your world it encourages you to make those connections yourself and make them as detailed or as vague as you want and to get people fill them out and i just thought that was actually quite a nice way to sort of world build in a way something mm. you can do yourself and make those connections and make your version of pop goblins or bugbears or orcs different to how people traditionally see them and i just thought that was yeah. just a really cool idea yeah that's a really really cool idea you get a lot of that when you read books like eberron I, I did notice that when they take all the races and there's a totally different slant on how each race works in that particular campaign and this is a really good example of that but you're right I and mean, the best place to start is the monstrous races place in the world that you are going to play in and it can range in, in all kinds of manners between you're playing a one shot where you have a particular little uh, quest that you're doing in a little village and none of you will ever play this again it'll have no bearing on anything you ever do again it's totally one shot totally open and actually nobody minds if you want to play a hobgoblin or, or whatever it has no consequence whatsoever but it may also go the full circle to actually these people are traditionally seen as the villains of the piece or evil and it has an appropriate place in the world where if you walk in as a cobbled to a town you will be arrested or killed on site and you have to think about that in the way so mm -hmm. i think it's it, that is a conversation you've got to have between the dm and the players who want to play these things because 
some DMs have a very black and white image of how you want to present these things. Other people are much happier to sort of give it to what I call the sort of player justification approach where you go, okay, that's fine. But how, how explain this to me, like mm-hmm. pitch it to me and we'll find a place to make this work effectively because yeah, there's a whole sliding scale. And ultimately it's, it, this is up to you as to how much you want to make these rules change your campaign if you want somebody playing as an orc and actually sometimes the player themselves wants this if they want their orc to genuinely have rocks thrown at them every time they go near civilization that's fine but if other people just really associate with an orc because that's their spirit lord of the rings character or something or whatever it may be and actually they just want to play a sort of as you say so you're defining this person as how you want to with a very sort of translucent image or a very hollow sense of a typical D&D sense. So you can just play this character as you want. Mm-hmm. That's also fine. And you've actually touched on a very slight thing there. So I wanted to talk about, which was like, how you, how would you fit them into the world that you are creating? You know, would you change it like that? But then also, so you go from the world down to the actual party itself. Are you the only monstrous adventurer in your party? If so, how does that effect or impact inter-party relations? Or is it a good mix of monstrous and traditional characters? Or is it completely monstrous? I love the idea of everyone being a completely monstrous adventurer and having that dynamic as well. Because again, it feels like to me, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like there is definitely with sort of the hobgoblins or goblinoid races, a definite hierarchy. But I would love to see like a cobalt leader <laughs> trying to get, you know, get these people together and then they're a bit to sort of cower and whatever but it's actually worked really well you know and again other opportunities for role play but you do like you said need that conversation with not only the dm but with the other party members as well so is there a reason why uh, you have at least one monstrous adventurer is there a connection were they saved by another person do they have a particular bond and actually focusing on the bonds between the characters which it goes into i quite like that i don't think i've ever read that in a D&D book before because obviously it always says like you know if you're thinking about this character maybe think of these points but actually it says at the beginning that this is such a different area maybe not as uh, traditional perhaps but maybe have a proper think about like what are you doing there's a big focus on the story aspect before you get into mechanics which I just thought was so different and I really I really appreciated it I guess as a story yeah. RPG in myself <laughs> yeah and it gives a really good opportunity for players to work with each other to have a joint narrative because mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that you can get a monstrous character into your campaign, as you say, are relating to where you rescued, where you blackmailed, where you brought up from a young age. And all of these things can be used to tie a very unsuspectingly normal looking PC, like a human fighter, to a bugbear sorcerer that maybe the family of these humans once were killing a infestation of bugbears and they saw the young infant with magical powers and took pity and it stowed away maybe or it was taken away and maybe it doesn't realize what happened but yeah there's all kinds of sort of ways of justifying it but i like the idea that you get players involved with each other like often if you're playing a campaign you really want people to become invested in the campaign and in the story you can talk about your world as much as you want and you can get somebody involved as much as you want. But if people are actually entwined in terms of their narratives, I don't know, people take it more seriously sometimes because they want to do good by the other person. And Mm -hmm. when the story is really interesting because it involves something very unusual, I don't know, maybe it would be, you're more vested than you would normally be. Oh yeah, 100%, definitely. Let's sort of move on slightly then to the actual mechanics of each sort of individual race. So start at the alphabetical beginning, I guess. So bugbears. What is it about bugbears that make them sort of stand out as an adventurer? So bugbears are traditionally, and I would sort of loosely put this, is more powerful than the average sort of character. When I first started d and was, it was 3.5 edition, and it just isn't that old really, but you, they had this idea that you could play monstrous characters mm. all the way through the monster manual. But unlike in 5th edition, where generally speaking, every race has a plus two, some feats or spells, a couple of skills or languages or whatever it is, and they are kind of roughly similar in terms of scaling or, or in the same sort of ballpark anyway. 3.5 edition genuinely just threw the book out of the window. You were as powerful <laughs> as the monster you played. Mm. And if you played a vampire, then you were going to be way more powerful than if you played a kobold. I, I think a, like a kobold in that edition had a huge 
huge penalties to like lots of stats. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they kind of did their way with that. But but this actually brings in a sort of little idea that your character may not be as balanced as other characters and mm. it's kind of deliberate like bugbears are a really good example of this you get strength by two dex by one so far so normal they mm. push the age into 16 to 80 very human-like the alignment it says chaotic evil which again that is for you to use if you don't want to be chaotic evil you want to be lawful good then you have to kind of think about why your bugbear is different to the usual and, and all that sort of thing they're pretty big, six to eight feet tall and weigh up to 350 pounds. Base speed of 30 feet, dark vision. This is all very normal. Mm-hmm. Powerful build even, very normal. And then it gets a little bit silly because suddenly you are long-limbed, which means all of your weapon melee attacks on your turn are five feet greater in range than normal. So you can hit people with long swords at 10 feet or spears at 15 feet or whatever it may be, which incidentally has some hilarious builds with things like the pole master the pole weapon master sentinel Mm -hmm. feats and all this sort of thing (laughs) um you get proficiency in the stealth skill and then on top of that if you surprise a creature and hit it with an attack in the first turn you also get an extra 2d6 damage so there are some builds here that are absolutely mad and bugbears are specifically not as balance say as i mean i say that human varying humans are about as unbalanced as you get starting with a feat means you can get just mm-hmm. a ridiculous character from level one as we know from great weapon master i, I don't know but, what you're talking about i <laughs> i generally don't because i forget it all the time so <laughs> indeed i was the session zero where it was like there is a bear okay a great weapon master and hit and it's dead you're like okay good <laughs> i solved <laughs> the bad. problem it's fine <laughs> But to make up for that, bugbears obviously have a role-playing place in the game. Traditionally, they are quite evil, they are selfish, they sort of fight for themselves and fight to survive. So fitting them into a campaign, yes, you may have a character that has these abilities, but then there's all these penalties that come with it from a social and an RP sort of point of view. So this actually relates back to something before where we talked about there is something called the origins table, which we sort of have briefly sort of mentioned in passing about like, what is the origin of your monstrous adventure? And usually you have that with other races as well, like, you know, giving yourself like a, a purpose, I guess. And one of the things on the monstrous origin table, it talks about you were possibly cursed or polymorph. And I recognize this instantly when we come into goblins, because in the new critical role season, if people have watched it, I presume anyone who's into D&D streaming will have at least heard of critical role. But there is someone that does play a goblin character on it who, spoilers, I guess, if you've not caught up, but is cursed to be a goblin in some respect. And that's quite a big chunk of their story arc. And I'd never seen that before as a way to introduce that your character has changed or, or changes character halfway through. So let's talk about goblins in general. So what, what is it about goblins that make them great or not? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, the fact that they're not great, that's, that's the thing. It, yes. it, it's their size and the dexterity and the ability to absolutely go mental about anyone bigger than them. So, yeah, the goblins are traditionally very evil pack creatures that kill and eat and pillage and generally are up to no good. Typically, they get captured, if not captivated by hobgoblins and other sort of bigger races. So there's a superiority complex there you've got to think about. Generally speaking, apart from the dex and con score, they're pretty normal, apart from the fact that they are a small race, like halflings or gnomes or anything like that they get dark vision which is pretty normal they have nimble escape which is an interesting one it Mm. essentially gives them roguelike powers there's a race so you can take disengage or hide actions as a bonus action on each of your turns so not a dash but you can do disengage or hide so you could play as a much heavier class or or a, a sort of magical class for instance and have these skills that normally you've got to take a two level dip in rogue to get which is again quite interesting And then you have Fury of the Small, which I think is probably the one thing that stands out in my head as being the most critical role-like skills on these things, because just hearing him shout Fury of the Small (laughs) whenever he hits someone. But that is, it's not even a role thing. It's just once per short rest, if the creature that is larger than you is hit by an attack or spell of yours, you deal extra damage equal to your level doesn't start off as very good but once Mm. you hit level 15 or 16 it's a nice little bit of damage where you can chuck like a level one spell or just one attack at somebody and yeah 
I mean, watching, so he plays a rogue and watching the sneak attacks hit with Fury of the Small added in, you can just get some ridiculous attacks. They are very good fun. <laughs> it just all adds up, really, when you look at it. All right, well, let's move on to Hobgoblins then. What is it about Hobgoblins that are, make them great or not so great monstrous adventurers? Well, Hobgoblins are military-trained, precision, intelligent creatures that live in forts and form warbands and, generally speaking, are evil, superior to everything else. They're pretty... They're quite good. They're tough. Annoyingly, in my head, and I guess it's because that ability was kind of... It's thrown down to another creature on this table, but Hobgoblins have a sort of pack tactics-esque ability in the monster manual where if they surround somebody or they have sort of sneak attack effectively they can pile on the damage and do lots of extra damage so they work really well in groups and they've kind of tried to reflavor it a little bit so it's not just using that sort of ability it's giving you something else you get a con bonus you get a little bit of intelligence bonus that's an unusual one having constitution and intelligence mm. you can actually make a beefy wizard or, or something along those lines which is quite quite interesting mm-hmm. um usual dark vision bit of martial training so light armor a gun with a spellcaster weirdly enough these creatures are better spellcasters than they are military this is why i find so weird about the hobgoblin traits they haven't really given any decent abilities to actual martial ability there's no strength or dex here there's no extra damage really but you have one thing called saving face which is i think quite interesting because it, mm. it depends on how many people you're playing with if you're playing in a big party it's really really good once per short rest if you miss an attack roll or ability check or saving throw you can give yourself a bonus up to plus five based on how many people that are allies are around you <laughs> so that you can essentially not fail in front of them <laughs> and that guaranteed hit is really really good that's if, if you've got like a very rare or difficult to use attack or you're throwing a level eight spell at somebody or you've got one bolt of dragon slaying and you really need to hit the target very very useful ability But otherwise, yeah, weirdly enough, sort of, I think, more specialised towards being a spellcaster than anything else. That's interesting. I actually hadn't considered that. But actually looking it through, like you said, that constitution increase and the intelligence one. But yeah, but the saving face one does sound more like a military thing. Like if you lose like an, an action role of some sort. Yeah, I, I hadn't actually considered that per se. But I do love that idea that the saving face one is that it looks like it missed and you're like, no, it doesn't. And everyone's like, oh, hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I just like that idea that you, just, it, you you will it to succeed. A bit like you know, like Paladin's sort of the, the aura, but just for yourself. You're like, I am yeah. that good. I just thought that was a really cool... It's just <laughs> the ultimate, like bullshittery like <laughs> no i'm confident i'm gonna do this that's so cool i like that as well yeah you just you're just that arrogant as a person you're like no no it's going to work i believe in it and then <laughs> having that like just that extra dip into like yeah plus five to come out whenever you need for like, yeah like you said only for a, a short or long rest but oh actually if it resets on a short rest you could be like i'm done but we cannot go any further i need a little lie down <laughs> so, so you never <laughs> always have it for each combat no you all need lie downs as i watch <laughs> with my eyes closed. <laughs> so let's get on to Cobalts. I will say, I'll put this out there, I think Cobalts are brilliant. Like, I think goblins were always the sort of traditional, sort of like the baddie, sort of like you face them early on in your campaigns. Cobalts, I only discovered fairly, well, not even fairly recently. I did it when I was sort of uh, playing some of the earlier modules, and I just think they're brilliant. There was an episode of High Rollers where Mark Humes had like a whole society with Cobalts, and they just all had great voices, a great sort of society, and it was like, <laughs> Nick Knack was one of the leaders and Knick-knack. all that sort of thing. Oh god, I, I was just I am a great warrior, Nick Knack. And you're like, yes, yes, I will follow this person through and through. So let's talk yeah. about Cobots in general. What makes them great or not so great adventurers? Just before that, I the one I'm thinking of is again, I don't want to keep saying about critical role, but splat. Oh yes. Splat or <laughs> it's oh. Chris Perkins very, very Perkins. Uh, minor uh, uh, cameo. <laughs> Very short cameo. (laughs) Yes, kobolds are actually a sort of give and take class. There are some genuine penalties here. And I think probably the first negative stat score 
I have seen in D&D up till this point. So mm. dexterity increases by two, but strength goes down by two. They are naturally very weak. They also have sunlight sensitivity, which is a real pain if you're doing anything outside. And yep. I think there are only a few classes or a few races that have this. I think drow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe a couple of others that I can't think of. But if you actually, as a DM, enforce sunlight sensitivity it would be a genuine handicap because disadvantage is a real git on i think it's on like mathematically it works out to be about minus five Mm. on average on the roll if you've got disadvantage so yeah really 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 harsh but to make up for that boy have they got some fun things so that's sort of the minor ability apart from you know being small and having 30 feet of movement and dark vision and and all the usual stuff they can speak draconic which is quite cool Mm -hmm. um just a random one but they have this thing called growl cower and or grovel cower and beg oh god that's a tongue twister grovel cower and beg (laughs) which basically means as an action they can give advantage to all attacks to any enemies within 10 feet of you as you spend your turn just making a scene like absolutely just be (laughs) pathetic and distracting and everybody else gets advantage which that is really good really really good and you can use it every short rest and to make it even better, they have pack tactics straight from the monster manual, which is you have advantage on any attack roll if at least one of your allies is within five feet of the creature. Instant advantage. That is mental. Imagine if you had a barbarian or a fighter or a rogue, you don't need to do anything to get advantage. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Again, I just love the idea that I go, okay, I'm going to go in. And they go in and they just make the scene, as you said. But like I, in my head, just reading it, I see like um, weirdly like a, a cobalt bard just be like, I am a performer. And, and like do the performing, but like like a dramatic scene or anything like that. So people are looking go, oh my God, what is this creature? And then everyone attacks. And then being able to like, then like A2 Brute and just stab back on all the other. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just love that idea that this class certainly to me appeals to me in a sense of like you might need to role play a little bit more and think more like in the sense of like if you're not going to be like hacking and slashing and like doing the same things like well this you could it's a bit like bardic inspiration where you can like as we do in Zerios uh, Sam or, or Gogos now I don't know are we changing the name we never discussed <laughs> um, where Sam used to flavor like his inspirations to be stuff and I think you could do the same for this particular thing as well you could recite a, a short speech or just like I don't know make up something on the spot and, and do that performance as well to, to, if people wanted to do that i certainly think i would do that i don't know how long it would last if if it was a whole campaign i think i would dwindle quite quickly (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing you've got to decide with any of these monstrous characters how much you're going to dig really sort of blow the rp up you you can go all guns blazing and go for the big character comedy piece or you can go for something much more subtle and much more edgy and quiet there's always options for you i mean imagine playing a kobold who was almost silent and really straight-laced and properly, like, detective, like, hey, that's okay. You do that. That's lovely. And then gets into combat and goes, and just makes horrible noises. <laughs> that would be amazing. Then the anime eyes open, as you say, and it goes, no, it's my turn. <laughs> All the kneecaps have been taken off in one go. Yeah, no, cobbles are ridiculous. And absolutely one of the most min-maxable classes or races in the game. Like, mm. they are... Oh, you could you can make some crazy builds with them. Yeah, I see. Now that you said that straight lace idea, I just now have the idea of a mafia boss in my head, like almost like the Godfather bit is a cobalt. And so it's that seriousness, and then and then there's that performance outside, and then comes back in, and it's just like a cold blooded killer. So yeah, you could have so much. You fun could have with a that. pinky in the brain style <gasps> brain character, but as a cobalt. Yes. Oh my Silence god. fool. That would be amazing. Oh my god. What they better appear in Gogos, and I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about orcs. What makes them a great monstrous adventurer or not so great? Well, orcs, you naturally have to compare to half orcs, which are already in the book and have been in the book since the player's handbook came back right at the start. Orcs get plus two strength and plus one con. So really good frontline soldiers. But apart from that, weirdly enough, half orcs actually are slightly tougher, I think. If you think about what half orcs get, you get an extra damage dice on critical hits with the savage attack, and you get the ability to not die if you get brought down to zero health. That's true. You know, once per, I think is it once per short rest? I can't remember. Mm. But orcs don't have any of that. Instead, they have dark vision, which I think half orcs get as well. Mm -hmm. And they have aggressive, which means that as a bonus action, you can charge towards somebody 
as long as you're going towards somebody that you're charging at. So effectively, adds another 30 feet worth of movement or more. I was thinking if you took like a monk class, for instance, or mm. a barbarian with more sort of movement speed than normal, you could close the distance very, very quickly, which, which is, it is useful. You can use it as much as you want. So orcs move really, really quick. Mm. They also get intimidation as a skill. You get powerful builds. You can lift things, which I guess some people <laughs> play with encumbrance rules. I guess that is a thing. But um, yeah, orcs are a funny one. I think I do like the aggressive, and I think you could probably role play that really well. Just a frontline person who's willing to just charge in. Mm. But half orcs, they have more of a traditional sort of barbarian skills. Mm. The, the sort of the ability to add the critical hit damage in. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know about you, Ryan, but when I look at sort of characters and stuff like that, obviously taking my example of my character, obviously I hit hard and everything like that, but the ability to move around the map quickly, whether it's through various uh, means like flying, but actually being able to use your movement and then uh, your action to dash or something like that, but actually having to be able to use your bonus action to move up to half your movement, you could get so much ground. And actually, I feel like just being able to position yourself around the map. So if you were having, say, if you had, knew you had a, if you're one of those people who's more tactically minded that I am, but like being able to place yourself so you are within five feet and then your alley gets advantage because they're a cobalt, etc. And I just, I feel like movement is not maybe seen as as important most of the times it is like how hard can i hit and how mm. hard is it to hit me rather than how quickly can i move out of the way because i think there's all that sort of thing about being able to withstand certain hits but if you need to get out of somewhere very quickly because the terrain is uh, is falling or anything mm. like that Obviously, in this example, it goes towards an enemy of your choice, but it means you can zip around the battle map, essentially, very quickly. And I, I just thought yeah. that's actually quite cool, actually. It's a nice tactical thing you could do. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're a monk. I think it really would be crazy if you had those levels. The final one, which I guess we're both going to pronounce differently in different ways. I think it's Yuanti or Yuanti. Uh, the pure blood. Yuntai. Yuntai? That's definitely what I... <laughs> well... <laughs> I've no idea. We've no oh, idea. You made me doubt myself now. Yuanti. Yuanti, I, I think. I don't know. This race, what makes them a good monstrous adventurer or not so good a monstrous adventurer? Let me put it these ways. These guys are possibly the most powerful in this book. Yeah. Can you tell me why? Well, if you, what jumps out in that sort of stat sheet for you? Instantly, I see sort of magic resistance. So yes. saving throws on everything, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. And other magical effects is always the one that gets missed out whenever people think about using like counter spell, for instance. It's just mm -hmm. like, oh, you can counter spells, but not magical effects. It's brilliant. It's, I mean, having these characters means that pretty much you have an arcane dampener on you at all times and including monsters that come along with these magical effects as well mm -hmm. you're resistant to them and you have advantage on all saving throws again you combine that with a monk for instance or a paladin or someone with a bit more of saving throw boost and you've got somebody who would never ever fail any throw also i mean just immune to poison and the poison condition yes. you'd be surprised how often that comes up in some campaigns with beasts and things with fangs um the rest of it's pretty standard uh, plus two for charisma uh, plus one for intelligence so again quite a spellcasty class nice to see somebody that can use uh, do well at things like sorcerers and bards and stuff like that a bard unt the idea of that is really funny because unt are supposed to be absolutely emotionless and without any feeling whatsoever so having a bard would be i am singing a song regimented no. song 52 you are happy <laughs> the best way you think about how many sort of stuck up indie bands there are about their music like hi we're this person we're gonna play our album now and then they play it and it's like garbage you're like thank you for listening bye like I, that's how i see it like that here's wonderwall again <laughs> with an added superiority complex where you can go here is my stuff it is the best you will listen to it you will hear nothing better it's, I, I genuinely have heard everything today was better but but okay cool great okay that's fine. great and the sort of the as well the sort of innate spell casting that you already get mm. you get poison spray which makes sense and then animal friendship but then in brackets but only with snakes 
<laughs> it's yeah. like, how often is that going to happen? That's a very specific thing, yeah. I, I guess if you, I mean, there must be a way you can get some spells in where you summon snakes and maybe you don't have yeah. control over them, but now you do or something, or mm. there must be something. I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but yeah. yeah. I feel like my, the vision of Yuanti or Yuantai or whatever, they are forever going to be tainted by like the Harry Potter and like Savazar Sliverin, I can never say his name right, clearly, uh, Parcel <laughs> Tong, all that sort of thing. So that's what I see all the time is some sort of Slytherin aspect to them. And whilst, I, whilst I am a, a fully claimed Slytherin myself, as a result, I'm like, oh no, not another Slytherin in real life. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> I think I'd be annoyed if I saw one in the game. So. I know, I know. These guys are hilariously evil. So how on earth you would get one of these into your campaign? That's the challenge. That's the absolute, if you can Absolutely. come up with a great way, perfect. Yeah. So what was it that sort of stood out for you with all these races? Is there one particular race you're like, this is the sort of thing I want to see more of in campaigns or one you'd like to play yourself? I like the idea that people really have to think about their backstories. And I always like people who play quite subtle characters like if you've got a trait you've got a funny thing you want to do or if you've got like backstory you want to bring in sometimes the best way to do these things is with subtlety so that you don't go over the top and and it's more it has more effect when you do whatever you were going to do and i genuinely think that monstrous characters adds another layer to that because you're sort of thinking okay if i've got some sort of curse and i'm a horrifyingly disgusting kobold that is now with the party that remember my original elven form whatever it may be (laughs) you have to think well maybe i'm not crazy maybe i'm not over the top how would i act in Mm. a way that's like quite normal but then maybe my new form gets the better of me at times or maybe Mm. i have my moments uh, I don't know, it's, it's quite interesting. But, but as a DM as well, you can throw any of these into NPCs as well and use these stats to make NPCs as well as players can use them. And that can be quite fun because you could make villains with a little bit more interest. You could make allies of the party or maybe anti-heroes of the party come across that have all of these traits. I mean, what if the wizard that lives at the top of the mountain in isolation does so because they are a hobgoblin and they have an inherent evil in them that gives them a superiority complex and they've taken themselves away from the world so they just can get a bit of peace (laughs) or i don't know there's all kinds of things you can do but i just quite like the idea it's it's just throw something different into the game it's a bit like you know how the monster manual doesn't really have many good creatures that are interesting. Mm. A lot of the really interesting ones are evil. Yes. It's the same thing that players can often have not very many interesting evil choices. They're mm. all good. And it's mm. a similar thing. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. I think going back to it, the only one I can't see myself ever sort of playing, it's kind of what I said before, the Yuanti sort of pure bloods. I guess for me, I'm not sure how you'd implement them to campaigns. Again, from what I remember briefly looking at Team of Annihilation and sort of their whole sort of thing, it's always been evil. And I know like with the upcoming sort of like Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and stuff like that, you can change things around and you don't have to play them as evil completely. But I feel that a bit like the GIF, there is so much backstory to them. There is so much entrenched in them. It's like, how can you implement them in such a way that doesn't necessarily mean a lot of effort for you and your DM to rewrite the whole history of it because I, I feel it just mm. not, i don't want to say comes with baggage because that's not what i mean but like with the gift for example obviously you had two big wars one that's still going on and does, does that mean mind players are also involved oh well we put them in here as well you to me sounds like there's a from what i remember i know I, this is how bad i've done this research there's an evil god of some sort and they're trying to bring them back and there's something to do with snakes and it's like you said there's <laughs> always different types of humanity as well i think it's cannibalism from memory i haven't read about it but it's humans that go so horribly cannibalistic that they curse themselves i think maybe i can't remember well write in if you know (laughs) we clearly don't it's in the book it's in the book we haven't read it no no maybe maybe for a future one we can sort of depress ourselves by looking at yuanti and cannibalism yeah I've already said what my sort of thing is for like things I wasn't so keen on. So I'm not so keen on like you anti per se, but is there anything that you weren't particularly keen on in this sort of chapter? Well, as I said, I, I do think they missed a trick with hobgoblins because hobgoblins are really powerful and very clever military machines in the monster manual. And I don't necessarily know that that has been reflected in how they've come across. Maybe I would have liked to have seen maybe a D6 added to damage when they're within five feet of an ally or something or i mean again that's quite powerful but something that 
relates to that a little bit. Saving face is really interesting ability, but I don't know. It just seems a little bit, yeah, especially if you've got a party of maybe two people. Mm. I mean, again, I like the idea of a number of allies affecting the role, but it, it's a little bit random. And yeah, if you don't have as many friends, maybe that's not so easy to do. I don't mm. know. Yeah, it depends on how many allies you recruit. So you'd be like, all right, I'm going out on this mission. Is there anyone from the town that wants to come with me? <laughs> Can I <laughs> encourage them to be my friends? Specifically anybody that wants to stay within 30 feet of me at all times. Yes. And that I can see at all times. Yes. Is that okay? That's true, isn't it? Because obviously if they go invisible, then you can't see them. So that, yeah. oh. no saving face if you don't know they're there. <laughs> well, what if it's for yourself, Ryan? What if you're like, <laughs> I, I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> So how would you implement, in general, have you got any ideas how would you put in Monstrous Adventurers into campaigns? Say if we decided, sod it, all of our characters now in Gorgos, we're just going to change to be Monstrous characters. What would you do to sort of like transition the process, I guess, if anything? (laughs) Personally, if if somebody came to me with an idea as I want to play this sort of character, I'd have a think about where that character was in terms of the world, if there's going to be some RP issues and serious ones at that, if this sort of race is not loved and is genuinely frowned upon, you then have a conversation with the player. And I genuinely think that I would approach it from the idea that, okay, pitch it to me. This is the world. This is the default reaction. So how have you got into the situation where you are who you are? Explain it to me. Give me some backstory. And you'd really make somebody have to genuinely think about their backstory a lot more because you can't have uh, what's like a sort of gray office worker style PC background. Like you can sometimes with humans, you can just pick the militia background and say, I served in the army and I saw something I didn't want to. You know, with a monstrous character, you do have to genuinely think about it a lot and come up with something a little bit more specific that flows into the campaign so you, you've got to have a good conversation you've got to make sure you've got something down that you've all thought about and that you're all happy to go with and yeah it's an mm. excuse to have a sort of two-way conversation i think yeah definitely i think for me thinking of it more as sort of one shots i thought like what would i like to see and i think for me i'd love to see more fully monstrous adventure groups so you have you know like you said like you have all the sort of uh, classes covered, but they're all sort of different monsters. Right? So, like, I would definitely think a cobalt leader would be great of some description. But then I was thinking, like, well, what would they be doing? I didn't want to be like, oh, they're going to do something evil. Because that happens all the time when you think, okay, you've got all these monstrous races, they're clearly out for evil or out to get adventurers. Mm-hmm. You could totally do that. But I thought, what would it be better? It'd be like something like they're part of a mafia group, so they're out for their own evil gains, and it doesn't matter who they rob or swindle. But then I watched... <laughs> I watched the film Severance recently. I don't know if you've ever seen that film. Severance? No, I don't think I have. So, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so, basically, it's like, um, they're office workers, essentially, and they go on a bonding trip to Germany to a cabin to bond, and obviously things go wrong. There's a killer on the loose fit. What I want to see, monsters go on a bonding trip because their clan has told them so, and that they have to go and like do like an away day or some sort, and they have to work together. But then they could accidentally stumble into like a human settlement, or they come across something evil underneath that they all have to work together as a team. And so do two parts, essentially. Do the horrible corporate stuff, whatever team bonding stuff, but then also save the day. But yeah, I think for me, I would definitely, if people were considering doing a monstrous character, I'd be like, well, let's get open it up to everyone. What do people want to do? And so that everyone can have a look and i guess i think that's the thing is that sometimes people don't realize that there's a whole i mean dnd is full of different races and stuff and i feel a lot of the time people do just stick to the player's handbook i know i do because i just think it's easier for everyone involved <laughs> if i just mm. go i found this and it's like i don't want to bring that onto a, a new dm if it's certainly if they're creating a brand new world and all that sort of thing but i think there's just something different about monstrous adventures about seeing it from their point of view and like you said like the anti-heroes the, the difference it's a bit like um, there's the Amazon Prime series called The Boys, which is superheroes, but they're the shit ones because they, they they've got the really good superheroes that just destroy everything, and then they've had to put a team of anti superheroes together who do have superhero powers and go and clean up after them and stuff. And that that's what I'd like to see. It's a more anti hero. These are the people who actually get on with stuff, but actually they're not. They don't get the same praise as adventuring parties as we would traditionally see them. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, that would be a really good way of doing it, having background workers, the, the people who sort of come in and mop up afterwards or have to do the things that no one else wants to do. 
I'd also, I think, just because I just thought of it, there's, I know there's one way of this be like, hey, we're going to do a one shot. You're all going to play bards. I now want to see Cobalt bards, like like a rock band of some sort. <laughs> do you? Is yes. that something you really want to see? Because yes. you will see it. As a, as a one shot. <laughs> one shot. Now I'm going to throw this at you as a, as a NPC that follows <gasps> you around for the entirety of your campaign, singing at you. Traveling minstrels. I perfect. I. Do it, Brian. I will. I will hire them. <laughs> I'll right. spend the rest of my money. <laughs> I'll see how annoying I can be. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we sort of wrap up, is there any sort of recommendations you have for similar things about monstrous adventurers or anything like that? Anything that sort of springs to mind? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because most uh, fantasy and books I can think of genuinely follow somebody who is destined for good or as an outcast it is of the normal human race i'm genuinely trying to think of something that would apply here i mean the only examples i can really think of that work for me are other campaigns of dnd i've seen with people but i don't want to give too much away just in case it spoils anything oh, that's a difficult bad. one you you having to get you to bail me out on this one i well i will because you have played in something which has had goblins in we played goblin quest by grant howitt where you play oh, yes different you basically play a group of goblins that in the sense of like they are you know, you bond together you have a certain goal to do but you do die by really different extreme deaths and that, that's a really interesting one there's also cobalt encounter which he recently wrote where essentially you have the king cobalt who demands crazy things and you as cobalts have to go off and collect them in some hilarious hijinks <laughs> in typical grant howard style yeah. um the other one i did think of actual like an online uh, stream which again I, I don't know if you ever saw actually but a uh, critical role way back in the early days they did a pathfinder one shot which was just called uh, goblins to the poop i think it was called and it had always fe- yeah i know <laughs> it had ashley birch who plays uh, tiny yeah. tina ivan van norman and phil lamar like other famous voice actors and they just all played with i think marisha and uh, talison just played all the different sort of goblin classes you could do and then they had a similar thing where they they all had to infiltrate a town and they all like dressed up as a, like one person and they were going through and it just I think they blew up the town in the end it was, it was absolutely ridiculous but again it was that, that idea that they have all these classes and putting them together but they weren't necessarily the only thing that, that held them back was their own sort of intelligence as players in a way because they were like okay now what <laughs> you know <laughs> the two final things Again, so thinking back to sort of like being polymorphed or cursed into a different shape, where else will you see that in a film but Shrek? <laughs> where, oh, yeah. Where you point. have Princess Fiona, uh, my namesake, obviously. It turns out, I don't know if you ever do this, like type in your name into the GIF search, and then the first GIF is what you look like. And I'm like, I know who it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with it, but also, there's been no famous Fionas in films for ages. So it's always going to be oh, Princess there's Fiona. There's plenty of Ryans. I'm just trying to work out which one it would be. Well, it would be Ryan Reynolds, surely. I, I think. was thinking Gosling. Oh, well, oh, oh, my bad. I have there to pick between go. those two. <laughs> exactly. There's quite a few. And the, the final one I was thinking of was, and I actually haven't seen this film. I watched the trailer, and maybe if it's out on Netflix or, or something, I'll watch it. But there's, I think about two or three years ago, there was the Warcraft film where you had orcs and humans, obviously based on Warcraft, coming together to fight against a common enemy or, or cause. And obviously they had those sort of cultural tensions about like, oh, well, we don't trust them. We've, you know, we've been fine all this time, blah, 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 blah. And actually, one thing we haven't mentioned in the sort of book, it talks about like, why is your, your particular character not with your society or your, your, your clan? Is it because you are an ambassador? So maybe playing an ambassador for your people going to visit the capital or these other clans? Or are you an outcast? Have you done something so terrible that you are no longer with your thing? And I think from what I saw, Warcraft has some similar themes where they, they're speaking ambassadors or they've been cast out from their clans as well. So yeah. Yeah, that, so, I mean, that, that sounds amazing. As you can tell, right? I was like, what else has Monstrous Adventures in? I had a good old Google search. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. You bailed me out of that. I just can't believe I didn't think it's Shrek. Oh. Uh, uh, hey, I, not like I think about it every time I do a gift. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh... Oh, well, this is brilliant, Ryan. Thank you so much. Shall I tell you what my topic is for the next time we record? I That would be great. I, I'm genuinely interested. What do you, what do you got up your sleeves? my arms no uh, that's terrible okay ah. <laughs> okay right <laughs> tough crowd um <laughs> 
So I think next time, again, going a little bit into world building, but something different for the actual sort of adventurer people out there. We've looked at monstrous adventurers and sort of like the different races. Of, what about if your adventurer is someone that needs specialist equipment to get around? What is it something that, you know, maybe other adventurers don't have and you want to be able to sort of show that in the fantasy world? So next time we're going to look at a very exciting topic, the combat wheelchair, which is like a community created item by one Sarah Thompson or Mustang Art on Twitter. And they've sort of put together this sort of very detailed document on creating basically the combat wheelchair and how to sort of implement a sort of fantasy version of a wheelchair into your D&D campaigns. And it's really exciting. Really, really good. That's really cool. Genuinely interested. That community made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the first time actually we'll, have, we'll be looking at something that is not officially Dungeons and Dragons. So how dare you? I feel the pulse already. What? Oh, no, honestly, I will change your mind. You'll you'll love it. You'll love it. <laughs> like a sunset. No, it should be really good. So before we sign off, Ryan, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything we should know about? What are you up to? What you, what's what's happening with you? My phone is really low on power, so I should plug that in. That is a really good point. Thank you for reminding me. Come find me on Discord Hi. as well if you like this sort of humor. Hey, that's hey. really good. Ursa hey. Ryan or the Ursa Ryan Discord, which definitely doesn't have an acronym that you need to know about. That's totally fine. I'm surprised it took you this long to include mentioning the acronym. <laughs> I've got to be honest. I like to leave people hanging, you know? I, I only want people that are 12 to 15 episodes in. I've totally lost track of where we are. <laughs> no, We're somewhere in that realm, I think. We've definitely done 13, I think. But for me, my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Um, going super well. Um, always. 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 Well. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just looking forward to the day. Actually, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm scared of the day mm. when you just say it's going terribly. Oh. Say, oh, God, what do I say now? You just go, I know. <laughs> I think with all creative things. Also, a quick shout out to my mum, who has listened to every single episode of DM's Book Club and has given very good feedback about how good you are, Ryan, on, on oh. this call. Are, yeah. are you sure you've been listening to the same thing? That <laughs> doesn't sound like... <laughs> That's very sweet. Thank yeah. you. But also, apparently, we do go sometimes too deep into topics, so we need to think about that a bit, bit in the future. Oh, um, oh this, this episode would have been terrible. I, think I know. I thought, I, thought <laughs> I thought I'd mention it at the end. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Well, until next time, friends, we will... Uh, what do we normally say? Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Bye.